But you know, it's that time of year where it's starting to look a lot like Christmas. I don't know about you, but I love the Christmas season. And I know some of you even love the Christmas season more than I do because some of you, I mean, you get started on Christmas early. And you're doing Christmas stuff before the rest of us are doing Christmas stuff. And you're playing Christmas music long before the rest of us. In fact, I have a video that I want you to watch. And we've kind of hidden the identity to protect the innocent, so to speak. So if you can play that for us. I have a confession to make. I've been listening to Christmas music since September. I know. I know. The stresses of work. All the crazy things happening in this world. It all started so innocently. Just a coercion chain. Here or there. And I told myself. You quit any time. I'm not hurting anybody. But then, of course, became a full song. And a full song became a full album. Well, well, I did quit for a little while. But then I made a mistake. I turned on the 24-hour news coverage on cable news network of the midterm elections. And I just couldn't take it anymore. And I just plunged headlong into 24 hour a day streaming online Christmas music. This is my story. Oh, sorry. Were you recording? Uh, yeah, just this whole hidden identity thing. Oh, sorry. That's alright. Joseph said he'd edit it for me, so he'll take care of it. Wow, Joseph. Way to pay attention to the details, huh? Seriously, though, Christmas music is everywhere, whether you want it to be or not. And it's such an eclectic mix. I don't know if you pay any attention to the music playing in the stores and the restaurants, but you might hear Old Holy Night, and that'll be followed by Frosty the Snowman. And then maybe a little bit later, later they'll play Ava Marie, and then a couple songs later, it'll be Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. <laughs> I mean, it's just this crazy mix. But you know, Christmas music is, is kind of special, isn't it? I mean, I love to watch the kids sing Christmas music. I mean, just to see the looks on their faces, and it, and it just kind of gives you the warm fuzzies. But it's not just kids that like Christmas music. I don't get to do this very often, but a, uh, a few years ago, I got to go with our primetime choir. They go out on Sunday, I'm, I'm sorry, on Thursday mornings, and they sing in the nursing homes and stuff. And it was during the holiday season, and so they were singing Christmas carols. And just to see the looks on those nursing home residents' faces as they heard those familiar tunes, those familiar Christmas carols. Christmas carols, they're just different from other types of music. But you know Christmas carols, they didn't originate with us. They didn't originate with the early church. You actually have to go all the way back to the book of Luke, chapter one, and you come across some of the original Christmas songs. 
I know you've probably never thought about it that way. It is not really kind of typical. You know, in the Old Testament, occasionally you'll hear these songs, especially in the book of Psalms, that are praises to God. But when you go over to the book of Luke, chapters 1 and 2, there are four different songs, so to speak. And you find that when someone hears the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is a song of praise. You'll even notice in some of your, some of your study Bibles, it'll even put it like the one this morning that we're going to look at, Mary's song. In other words, when Jesus broke into this world, a song broke out. So this December, we're going to kind of be looking at the original Christmas music. And we're going to be studying some of the Christmas songs in Scripture. And today we're going to look at Mary's song. It's a song of praise. In the Latin, it's called the Magnificat. And it simply means, in Latin, to magnify, to praise, to glorify. And so that's what we hear from Mary. This song from her heart that magnifies the Lord. So we're going to study it together. And if you hadn't already, we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 1. And all the scripture references, of course, will be on the screen also. You know, this time of year, Mary gets a lot of attention. I mean, she should. She's the, the mother of Jesus. But when you really get right down to it, we don't know a lot about Mary. I mean, we just don't know. I mean, there's not really enough information on Mary to even write a short biography. We do not know about her life before Jesus. We don't know how she raised Jesus. We don't know how or when or where she died. We just don't know. I mean, there's this story we're going to look at this morning that kind of gives us some information and she has a couple other cameo appearances in the gospel and once in the book of Acts. And that's really about it. That's really about all we know about Mary. But I do want us to look this morning to see what it is that we know. Because I think there's some very important things and some principles that we can put into our own life that come from Mary. So we'll start in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. It begins with the phrase... In the sixth month. When you see that phrase, that sixth month is referring to her cousin, Elizabeth's pregnancy. And Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And then it goes on, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So here's the first thing I want you to notice about Mary. Mary had humble Beginnings. She lived in this small town called Nazareth. So what was Nazareth like way back in the first century? Well, scholars tell us that it had about a population of about 300 people. They tell us that the average life expectancy was about 30, that the town had no sewer, and that it sat on about 10 acres. So it's just this, like, you know, you and I would call it a little hole in the road, a little maybe one-stop sign kind of town. You know, 10 acres, 300 inhabitants. That's all there was to this little town that she was from. So we continue on in verse 27, and it says, Gabriel appears to her to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. 
The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. In other words, I want to kind of call your attention to this little phrase here. <coughs> highly favored are a bit surprising. Because overall, to me, if you think about our world today, Mary is not thought of so much as highly favored as I would say she was highly overlooked. So Gabriel comes along and he gives this announcement to Mary. And here's Mary's response in verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. And there's the words again. You have found favor with God. So as we look at Mary's life this morning, here's the question I want us to kind of think about. What was it about Mary that caused her to receive God's favor? What was it about Mary that caused, caused God to bless her? What was it that marked her life for that blessing? Because I know that if you're kind of like me, you want God's blessing in your life. You want to be favored by God. You want your family to be blessed. So what was it about Mary that brought that favor? She wasn't rich or powerful. She's from a little town. You know, it's interesting. Some of you may be familiar with this. Forbes magazine every year puts out their list of the most influential people. There's 70 most influential people. Most powerful people is often how they word it. In 2011, they came out with a list. And the reason I'm going back to 2011 is because of the opening sentence that they used to describe these people. And let me tell you, their opening sentence just kind of makes you kind of feel kind of miserable. Because here's their opening sentence. There are 7 billion people in this world. And these are the 70 that matter. Don't laugh. Your name's not on the list either. <laughs> I mean, can you believe they started with a sentence like that? 70 billion people, 70 million, 7 billion people, and these are the 70 that matter. So they're ranking these people. And basically they have four criteria on how they determine who these 70 people are. Here's their criteria. How many people does that person have power over? Number two, what financial resources do they control? Number three, does that person have influence in more than one sphere or arena? And then the third one is, do they wield the influence and power that they have? So that's the criteria they use. It's very similar to a criteria that probably a lot of people in our culture will use to talk about powerful, influential people. And just in case you're curious, in 2011, the top five were, I think Obama was number one, uh, Putin was number two, the Chancellor of Germany, the President of China, and I think Bill Gates rounded out the top five. Those were considered the top five, and interestingly enough, there were two drug cartel kingpins 
that were also on that list of 70 that they considered that powerful. So if you think about that's the world's criteria for powerful people, how does Mary measure up? Is that why she found God's favor? Because she fits this criteria that we often use? Probably not. I mean, now you would think God's sending his only son. He might want to pick somebody that, that's very powerful and very influential. But as far as power goes, Mary didn't have any. She wasn't a person of influence. She doesn't have a political position. She has authority over exactly zero people. <coughs> no financial resources. She didn't have any. Her and Joseph, the term we might use would be, they were dirt poor. In fact, we're told that when they went to, uh, to dedicate Jesus, like you would dedicate a baby, which we're going to do in the second service, but when they dedicated their child, Jesus, at the temple, they were supposed to bring money to pay for a sacrificial lamb. They didn't have enough money. So they bought two birds instead. How ironic is that, that they couldn't afford a sacrificial lamb for the sacrificial lamb? She had nothing on her resume that people would have noticed. No impressive accomplishments. No special schooling. She was engaged to be married to a man. He wasn't a prince. He wasn't going to be a king. He was just going to be a carpenter. Mary, the same thing could be said of Joseph. Neither one of them were going to make a list of most influential, powerful people. Maybe most unimpressive people, at least in the world's eyes, they might would have made that list, but certainly not a Forbes-like list. She came from these humble beginnings. My second point, and we've already kind of touched on it, is Mary was favored by God. You know the list that she made? God's list. And that's really the only list that matters. So going back to my question, what was it about her? What was the criteria? I mean, when you look at scriptures, there seems to be a number of characteristics that God uses or, or God wants us to have in our life, and he blesses those types of things. You know, integrity and honesty and faithfulness and, and things like that. But what I think you see evident in Mary's life more than anything else is a humble spirit. That's what seems to mark this young lady more than anything else. A humble spirit. Just this awareness of how small she is and how big God is. So I would say that humility seems to be pretty important to God. Yeah, there's some other things. But humility seems to be really important here in Mary's life. And I think it's pretty important. Because when you're humble, you know what you do? You say, God, I realize that I'm not that much of a big shot. And God, I need your help. God, I've made a mess of things, and I can't fix them on my own. And God, my marriage is broken, but I know you can fix it. God, I've blown it with my kids, 
but I know that you can help me redeem that situation. God, I've made so many mistakes in the past, and everybody's given up on me. I need your help, and I know that you can remedy this situation. I don't have anything to offer, but I just give you myself. I think that's the humble spirit that God blesses. I think that's the spirit that Mary had that caused her to find favor with God. Now, here's the challenge for us. I don't think that many of us are really actively pursuing humility. I mean, when was the last time you prayed for humility? For most of us, it's probably not that often. When's the last time you read a book on humility? That even sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? I mean, you can go to Barnes & Noble, and you don't hardly see any books on humility. You will see books on how to be a great leader, how to be a powerful leader, how to be an impressive person, how to be an influential communicator. But there's no bestsellers there on how to be humble. You know, I was thinking about that, the whole Barnes and Noble kind of thing, and the thought occurred to me, you know, being of the age I am now where my beard is gray instead of cool looking, as I mentioned before, that young people, when they're looking for books, they're probably not going to Barnes and Noble. They're probably going online. And so just for kicks, I thought, I'm going to go to Amazon. You know, you can buy about anything on Amazon and see what kind of books there are in humility. So I did. You'll find this interesting. There was a few books that were kind of biblically based, so we kind of have to push those out. We don't count those. And then there were three other titles that had a little bit to do with humility. One was on leadership. One was on communication. And then the one that really grabbed my attention, I think we have a, a photo of the book cover, is, it was called this. Now I've lost my place here. How to be humble with self-hypnosis. How to be humble with self-hypnosis. So what does that say about us in humility if we have to hypnotize ourselves to be humble? It kind of proves the point, doesn't it? That we're just not really interested in pursuing humility. But if you want to find favor with God, it seems to be like we should pursue humility. If you want God's blessing in your life, pursue humility. It's one of those factors that invites God's blessing. Listen to some other scriptures that talk about humility. Proverbs 18, verse 7. God, you save the humble and you bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2 says, This is the one I esteem, God says, he who is humble and contrite in heart. James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God says to us, Quit acting like you got it all figured out. Humble yourself. Call on me for help and let me work. So Mary demonstrates this spirit. Let's go on and look a little bit further into the passage, beginning with verse 31. You will conceive, the angel's still talking, and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. 
The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Now notice Mary's response in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Which brings me to my third thing this morning. Mary sees herself as a humble servant. When Gabriel gives her the news that she's going to be the mother of Jesus, she just gives that simple response, I am the Lord's servant. And I think sometimes we forget something here. We've all heard this story so many times. I mean, like, at least once a year, right? That we know how it ends. Mary does not know how it's going to end. She doesn't know how all the details of this is going to happen that Gabriel is telling her about. You know, sometimes when God calls you to do something, sometimes you know it's from God because it's like something that you wouldn't have thought of. Like maybe you're thinking about end of the year giving and a number pops into your head and you think to yourself, oh, that wasn't my number. Or maybe you hear somebody talk about, well, they need people to work with the children down in the B3 kids department. And you think, oh, I didn't see that coming. Mary doesn't see this coming. She doesn't know how it's going to end. And she's no different than we are. Just like any teenage young lady, she had dreams, she had plans, she's engaged, she and Joseph are going to have a house with a two-car garage, they're going to have 1.7 kids, when she is old enough, maybe she'll get to take the donkey out on the town, I mean, she's got plans, and I don't know how this is all visualized for her, but after a visit from an angel, it changes. Nothing's ever going to be the same. I mean, from a social standpoint, she's a teenage girl pregnant. In that culture, physically, in that day and time, having a baby, your life could be at stake. Nothing's going to be the same. Think about this. She is a young teenage girl who has just been told by an angel that she's going to have a baby, and that baby is God's son. Think about that. I mean, can you just hear her saying something like, who, me? A baby? I don't think so. I mean, that's the response I would more expect. Not... I am the Lord's servant. We read a little bit further in verse 45. She goes to see her cousin Elizabeth and is 
says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill her promises to her. So Elizabeth compliments her. And then we begin to read about Mary's song in verse 46. That's her response. She breaks out in this wonderful song of praise. Listen to the words. And Mary sang, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of my humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent away the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he had said to our fathers. So in this song, how does Mary begin? She first describes how she sees herself. I am just a humble servant. You know, you can't magnify God and give glory to him if you're putting yourself in the spotlight. And she immediately starts by taking herself off the stage. I'm just a humble servant. That word servant that's used in verse 38 and 48, the word servant is probably not the best rendering of that word from the Greek. Maybe a better rendering would be slave. And perhaps the NIV didn't use the word slave because it would be offensive. But it was offensive in her time, too. So she picks this most unimpressive title, and she gives it to herself. She says, I'm a slave, I'm a servant. I have no ownership rights, she's saying. She's saying, I have surrendered myself totally to God. I'm sure she has all kinds of questions for Gabriel, how this is all going to work out. But instead, her response is, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's slave. So here's the thing. Her response is just a spirit of total humility. about something else here. If there was ever maybe a woman that had a right to be proud, would you think it might be Mary? I mean, she's going to be the mother of God's son. I mean, that seems like a pretty big deal. I mean, she's the only one that could have ever said, I raised the perfect kid. Sorry, Sean and Taylor. <laughs> she could have had a bumper sticker on the back of her chariot that said, my son created your honor roll student. She could have had a sticker that said, my son is the reason for the season. But she didn't have that kind of spirit. She just has this humility about her. Travis Eads tells this wonderful story. He was in a uh, Christmas musical. And they were rehearsing shortly after Thanksgiving for this, this musical that was going to take place. And so they were practicing when their director came in. And when he came in, he found a coffee cup sitting in the middle of the keys 
on his piano. I can tell we don't have any piano players in here. Because if we had piano players, you all would have gasped. So let's try that again, okay? He came in and found a coffee cup sitting in the middle of the keys of his piano. I know. So he picks it up, and he doesn't say much, and he throws it in the trash can. So the next night, they're having practice, and the rehearsal has kind of already started. And he comes in, and there's a coffee cup again sitting on the keys of his piano. So this time, he picks it up, and you can tell he's really upset. Like, he's going to fix him to throw this thing in the trash can with authority. And someone says to him, hey, you need to look in that coffee cup before you throw it away. So he picks up, he's got the cup in his hand, and he takes the lid off, and he looks in there, and there's some chocolate, and there's some candy, and there's even a gift card. And then he realizes, they had been playing Secret Santa, and he had been throwing his Secret Santa gifts away. He didn't recognize, some of you are laughing, he didn't realize that it was a gift. Why? Because it didn't come wrapped the way he expected it to. This Christmas season, don't make that same mistake. As we go into this Christmas season, don't let pride brush your judgments. Don't brush off opportunities because you just think that's not right. Don't judge people until you've kind of opened up the package, so to speak, to see who they are. Because God's gifts are oftentimes wrapped in humility. Certainly that was true of his son, who was wrapped around this very humble Teenage girl, Mary. No power, no authority, doesn't give any orders. She's young. She has no money. She's just this servant trusting God. Do you ever feel marginalized? Like you're just kind of at the back of the room and everybody else is in the spotlight? Well, look out. God might have something really special for you just like he did with Mary. She's just this humble servant, favored by God. She starts this praise by acknowledging her humility, and then she begins to talk about God. And nine times she uses the word he in her song. And six times she talks about his, his mercy. He has performed, he has scattered, he has brought down rulers, so on and so forth. And the point is just that the song is not about her. It's about God, about God's greatness and God's glory. And the song that's coming out of her heart is all about praising God. And she's reminding people also at the same time that God always keeps his promises when she refers at the end of the song to the promises that God kept to Abraham and his descendants. So let me ask you a question. 
This Christmas season, what promises is God wanting to fulfill in your life? Let's start here. This Christmas season, when pride reminds you of all the things that you need, remember that Jesus is all you need. This Christmas season, when the world tries to tell you that you don't have any worth, remember the worth of the one that is in you. And when you look at this world and everywhere you look, you just see wrong and brokenness. Remember the one who came into this world to give us eternal life. This year, this Christmas season, the world's going to be singing Frosty the Snowman. Have a holly jolly Christmas. And that's okay. But would you consider singing Mary's song? Because after all, the best chance some people are going to have to see Jesus this Christmas. Would you pray?